our home. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. Uh, This week, the news has transitioned rather quickly from Afghanistan to Texas heartbeat bills, and we will cover it all. Want to remind you, you can find the show at TonyPerkins.com. Find it on demand when you want to rewatch this, re- rehear this program, as I'm sure you will want to uh, very, very soon. Uh, TonyPerkins.com is the website. Also, download the Stand Firm app wherever you get your apps. Type in Stand Firm and stay connected with all the resources FRC has for you, as well as every episode of Washington Watch today on the program. Is President Biden really as pro-woman as he has been acting in the last 24 hours since Texas banned abortion after six weeks? Or is it just political posturing? You know the answer, but we'll talk about just how bad it is in our conversation with Mary Zock, director of our Center for Human Dignity. In addition, is the Texas heartbeat bill actually the end of Roe versus Wade? as many are claiming. There's good news and bad news on that front. We'll talk about that with Catherine Beck-Johnson. And at the end of the program, why do Christians care about abortion anyway? And many on the left are reacting to being told they can't get an abortion in the same way that other people react to being told they can't go to church. Is that a coincidence or not? We'll discuss that with our world in our worldview conversation with David Clausen. But first, the headlines. Wednesday's late-night decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to allow Texas's heartbeat bill to go into effect has the left up in arms. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi issued a statement yesterday promising to enshrine into law reproductive health care for all women across America. And, of course, what she means by reproductive health care is unrestricted abortion. And while the Biden administration seems to be incensed over the Texas law, it's probably breathing a sigh of relief that there's something else in the news to talk about other than the debacle in Afghanistan. But Republicans in Congress are continuing to call for investigations into the botched withdrawal and to remind the public that there are still hundreds of Americans stranded in Afghanistan. Joining me to talk about all this and more is one of those members of Congress, U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler, who serves the 4th District of Missouri. She's also a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Representative Hartzler, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Joseph. It's great to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. A, a big shift in kind of the, the conversation on Capitol Hill today. Nancy Pelosi had been pretty quiet when it came to Afghanistan, but suddenly when it came to enshrining Roe versus Wade into law, uh, she started to find her voice. Is this a surprise to you? Oh, it's disgusting um, how she wants to uh, eliminate at least 50% of the women who are in the womb by supporting abortion and, and supporting taxpayer-funded abortion. It is unconscionable. Uh, if she was really pro-woman, she'd be for uh, saving their lives 
through making sure that those women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy have as many options and support as possible to bring those babies to uh, life and to give them a chance at the American dream. And her uh, not being silent on Afghanistan is also disgusting. When we have women there in Afghanistan who now are at the hands of a brutal Taliban and, and facing a very dire future, and yet uh, she continues to stand by this president who uh, has totally failed us and failed the world re regarding this Afghanistan withdrawal because of his failed leadership. Uh, we have Americans stranded right now in Afghanistan. We have abandoned our partners who stood beside us and, and were interpreters to our soldiers and saved many of our soldiers' lives over the last 20 years. She and the president have allowed over $80 billion worth of military equipment to fall into the hands of the terrorists. And clearly, they have no plan to going forward to help save uh, these individuals. It is just abject failure of leadership. And that's why I called for President Biden to resign last week. I truly believe that he is incapable and incompetent uh, to lead our nation. And as a result of his actions, he is endangering the lives of our citizens. Now, there are some who think that this uh, conversation about the Texas heartbeat bill is really letting Biden off the hook for Afghanistan by changing the story. Do you think there's any truth to that? Sure. They want to talk about anything besides the failure in Afghanistan. Uh, we're seeing the, the terrific uh, plummeting of Biden's approval rating in this country as Americans are just disgusted uh, with the chaos and with the disaster that is at his hands, including the deaths of 13 of our uh, our servicemen and, and women. And so uh, they're trying to divert attention any way they can. In fact, uh, last when we were called to Washington and we had a briefing with General Milley and with the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of the State, to talk about what's going on in Afghanistan, she cut the conversation short so that we could go up on the House floor and vote on this $3.5 trillion spending boondoggle that she has prioritized and to put us further in debt that is full of Green New Deal, full of wokeness, full of things that are just going to fuel inflation. That was her priority not getting to the bottom of what was going on in Afghanistan and saving lives. Well, speaking of priorities, um, you also expressed this week in, in conversations and debates over the National Defense Authorization Act some concerns that that bill uh, to fund the military also includes some concerning social policy. What were your concerns there? Well, I tried to pass an amendment to make sure that our military schools that are overseen by the Department of Defense do not teach critical race theory. Uh, many people don't know, but uh, the Department of Defense runs the elementary and secondary education schools in many of our military bases abroad and here in America, such as Fort Bragg, Fort Knox, and others. And I wanted to make sure that they teach the ABCs, not the CRT, that we focus on reading and writing and math and that our children of our men and women in uniform are not taught that this country is inherently racist and they should be ashamed of this country. I mean, they're here with, in their homes every night with their mom and dad who have signed up to serve this nation and potentially give their lives. I wanted to make sure that they are not being taught that we have a bad nation uh, and that their parents' sacrifice could be uh, for naught. And yet the Democrats uh, would not accept my amendment 
and uh, and it failed. So I'm going to continue to try, though, to uh, push this effort because it is imperative that all children in America be taught the true academics and an accurate view of history and not be indoctrinated by a poisonous curriculum. I understand the issue of women in the Selective Service was also part of this conversation. Tell us how that went. Well, it's sad that several uh, individuals want to um, force that our, our girls, our daughters, our, our sisters and, and wives have to sign up for the Selective Service in case there is a draft. And they view this as a, a cry for equality, but I told them that we're already equal. Women have been equal for a long time. And the voluntary service works. Uh, right now, we have 16.5% of our military. It's made up by women. And they're serving admirably in a, in a volunteer capacity. And there is really no need to force all the women to sign up for the draft. It just doesn't make sense. I feel confident that if we were to have a, a large war where we would need more uh, individuals serving, that people would step up and that we wouldn't need to use the draft. But if we were, uh, studies have shown even if we doubled the size of people in our army, uh, we would only need one and a half percent of the men who are already signed up uh, to serve. And so there really isn't a need to do this. And I think it's just an effort on their part to try to make a statement about equality. But like I said, that is not needed. We are already equal and certainly equal in the eyes of God. Certainly that is true, but there does seem to be this desire to conflate equality with sameness. And I think it's common sense for most Americans to recognize that women don't serve in the same roles as men in all cases because they're different. And there's some things that men are probably more suited for, which is why they choose those things. Certainly, we don't require equality amongst uh, the kindergarten teachers in our country, which is a certainly uh, tilted toward women is over-representation over in, in those professions. So in any event, we have... Uh, we have um, I, I want to go to this question of the NDAA because there was an article in, in Politico from yesterday saying that the NDAA reflects some bipartisan frustration in the way Afghanistan's evacuation took place. Do you think that's a fair assessment? And what did that look like? Oh, absolutely. We passed multiple amendments on a bipartisan basis to try to provide oversight into what happened in Afghanistan and what is going to happen going forward. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans on Armed Services Committee recognize this for the disaster that it is and the humanitarian crisis. And we all feel a heartfelt uh, pain and sympathy about the 13 uh, servicemen and women who lost their lives uh, trying to evacuate individuals uh, due to the poor and the failed decisions by this president that has resulted in this huge chaos over there. And so I passed two amendments, which would uh, require a briefing on why they, uh, the Department of Defense abandoned Bagram Air Base. That is a question we need to find out because it's logical and it made sense for us to maintain that very important uh, strategic base. It also um, has where we had a, a, a prison there with 5,000 terrorists in it that now have been let loose and could actually come to America. Very concerning. My Second Amendment wants to get to the bottom of why they decided to pull our contractors, which were very necessary to maintain the aircraft for the Afghan army. And we say, well, how come the Afghanis didn't fight more? 
Well, if if we had already pulled out months ago, which the Biden administration did, the people who are maintaining them, then that put them in a position many times where they couldn't fly. And so I, my amendments had uh, are going to require those things to happen to get to the bottom of those issues. But we also want to know more about the decisions and the plans going forward. What plan do they have to evacuate the Americans that are still there? What are they going to do with all the Afghan interpreters that we abandoned and we left there in the hands of the Taliban? Uh, we uh, took action to get some answers, but sadly, uh, I'm concerned that this won't finalize and be through Congress and, the, and signed by the president until perhaps the end of the year. And by then, uh, we could be looking at losing hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, more lives in Afghanistan for individuals that we should have protected and we should have brought home. And it's really uh, heartbreaking and uh, a very, very trying dark time in our nation. Representative Hartzler, we have just about a minute left, but very quickly, what's the mood in, in Washington, D.C., on the Hill, uh, uh, with respect to the Texas heartbeat bill? How are people reacting to this? Is it different there than it is across the country? Well, I was just here this week to discuss the NDAA. The rest of the uh, Congress is not in session right now, so we mainly were focused on Afghanistan. But I can imagine it'll just fall along party lines, those who are pro-life. We'll celebrate it for the wonderful uh, bill and milestone that it is that uh, babies will be saved in Texas. And then if that heartbeat is detected, then they will be able to have a chance for life. Those who are pro-abortion, though, will tend to view it as uh, Pelosi does and try to spin it um, to make it bad for women. But the fact is, uh, pro-life is good for women and for their unborn babies. And we need to come alongside them as we Representative do. Hartzler? We are, at a, we are at a break. Really appreciate your time and for all you do for us on Capitol Hill. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. And stay with us. We're going to continue this conversation after the break about who's going to pick up the slack for all the abortion clinics in Texas. Stay with us. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. 
The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Glad that you are with us this fine Friday. Yesterday, after the U.S. Supreme Court decided late Wednesday night to allow Texas's heartbeat bill to go into effect, President Biden released a statement calling the 5-4 ruling an unprecedented assault on a woman's constitutional rights under Roe versus Wade. And he announced that he is, in response, launching a whole government effort to see what steps the federal government can take to ensure that women in Texas have access to abortion. He also drew attention to his Gender Policy Council, which he said created the reaction, was created to, to react to such assaults on women's rights. Now, is President Biden the women's advocate he claims to be, or is this just more about ideology that claims the mantle of women's rights when it's convenient? Joining me now to discuss this is Mary Zock, the director of the Center for Human Dignity at Family Research Council. Mary, good to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, what was your response? What is your response to President's President Biden's statement about women's rights in response to the Texas law. You know, I wish President Biden was a staunch defender of women's rights, but everything he said couldn't have been further from the truth. First off, the Texas law actually protects women and, and defends baby girls in the womb and, and their mothers outside who are who are outside the womb, obviously. Um, but, you know, Joe Biden has a history of of saying that he's protecting women when actually he's put it, placing them in greater danger. We've seen that with the Mexico City policy where he prioritized the funding for abortion providers over providing clean water and educational opportunities and maternal health care to women in developing countries. We've seen it with his decision to remove, to support removing the regs on the chemical abortion, which we know is incredibly dangerous. It has life-threatening risks including hemorrhage and death. Um, and, and we've seen that in, in his decision to abandon the women of Afghanistan to the horrors of the Taliban. Um, so, so Joe Biden has a proven track record of not doing things to support women. And, and this statement was just another 
just another case of him uh, saying that he's protecting women when actually he's placing their lives in greater danger. The timing of this does seem to be interesting because of the weeks-long conversation that we've been having about women's rights in Afghanistan. And President Biden's, uh, I, I think it can be described as nothing other as an attempt to diminish that, uh, that issue in this broader conversation about, well, it's just not appropriate for us to be there. Um, but now this women's rights issue is resurfacing again. And I want to play uh, one way that this is happening. Jen Psaki had an interaction uh, with a reporter yesterday who had raised the questions about the Biden administration and their response to the Texas law. And here's what she had to say about a male reporter asking this question. He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant. But for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected. What's your reaction to really what I think is patronizing a man, though I, I don't know if she's assuming his gender or if she actually, uh, if she actually had checked that in advance. Uh, but what's your reaction to that? to her argument essentially that you're a man, so stop asking those questions. That's incredibly patronizing. You know, the abortion is not just a woman's issue because we know that for a child to come into existence, it, it takes a man and a woman. Every unborn child has a father and a mother. And, and we need fathers to step up to the plate and, and to be good fathers, but we also need to stop telling men, hey, you know, sit down and be quiet because abortion is just about a woman. Yeah. And, and we, ha we have spent months uh, hearing from the administration and really a, a, new, um, a new initiative, I'll say, is, is we've not been using the term woman and instead um, using birthing people and trying to uh, take the institution of motherhood away from women and make it just kind of this gender neutral thing. But suddenly, uh, once we are now uh, defending abortion rights again, it's back to women's rights. Uh, we can use that term again. We'll see what happens next week. But Mary, there's another part of this story that I want to talk about with you, um, because this really is a lot of good news in Texas. It may be a path forward for other states. Um, we know for sure that lives are going to be saved in Texas. But since women can no longer go to abortion clinics, uh, who's picking up the slack? Are the pregnancy centers in that state around the country able to uh, carry this new load that's going to be coming their direction? Well, thankfully, we have heard reports of an increase, a huge increase in the number of visits, the number of calls, the number of women looking for ultrasounds at pregnancy pregnancy resource centers. Pro-lifers don't just care about the unborn child when he or she is in the womb. We care about that child their entire life, and, and we care about the mother, too, and that's why pro-life pregnancy centers exist, and they, they are picking up the slack, and there are people who are ready and willing to adopt those children if, if, that, is the, if that is what uh, the mother chooses as the best path forward for her child, if that's the plan she chooses to make, and there are pregnancy center, centers who are ready and willing to help mother's parent if that is what what is best for her and for her child. The pro-life community is here to help. And if President Biden actually was a defender of women, instead of threatening the Supreme Court, instead of threatening the, the legislators in Texas, he should have asked where he could make a donation to a pregnancy center. He should have said he was going to try to figure out ways 
to create more pregnancy resource centers or more funding for pregnancy resource centers in Texas. But instead, all he talked about was figuring out how to allow abortionists to exploit women and kill their children. And, and we know that uh, he is going to carry that message for a long time. And, and they, the, the need and really the desire to misrepresent what this bill is, um, we know that they're going to continue to have, they're going to continue to do that. And there are also going to be a lot of women uh, throughout Texas. And I, I think what you just referred to there as the holistic approach we have to the life issue is true. And this is going to be a great opportunity uh, to prove that because the emergency that they think is going to happen in Texas for women is not going to materialize. And what we're going to find out is that uh, this really is a better path. Mary Zock, really appreciate your time being with us. Thanks so much for having me. And stay with us because we're going to continue this conversation and we are going to talk after the break about some of the misrepresentations on the legal side of this new Texas heartbeat bill. What does it actually do? What does it not do? We are going to talk with Catherine Beck Johnson about that conversation. So stay with us. Don't go anywhere. We, we will be right back. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Glad that you are here. Very late Wednesday night, the United States Supreme Court ruled five to four declining to stop enforcement of Texas, Texas's Senate Bill 8, also known as the Texas Heartbeat Bill. 
Planned Parenthood and other abortion businesses had petitioned the Supreme Court for an emergency injunction that would have prevented the Texas law from going into effect. But Justices Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh voted to allow the Texas law to remain enforceable, at least for the time being, as the case makes its way through our judicial system. Is this case perhaps the first step that finally brings an end to Roe versus Wade, which legalized abortion in 1973? Joining us with the legal perspective from FRC is Catherine Beck Johnson, our research fellow for legal and policy studies. Catherine is also an attorney. Catherine, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Joseph. It's great to be here. Well, tell us, is this really, as some on the left are saying, the end of Roe versus Wade? This is a huge victory, a huge win for the pro-life movement. It's important to note, though, that the Supreme Court ruled on procedural grounds. That is, the Planned Parenthood went after somebody saying this pro-life advocate is somebody who would likely enforce the law, therefore we're going to preemptively sue him. You can't do that in the court system. So the Supreme Court simply said, this isn't prepared to be in court. You haven't sued anybody who's done anything yet. And they did not rule on the merits of the heartbeat ban. With that being said, this is the first time in 48 years where abortion starting at six weeks is illegal somewhere in the United States. So I think it showed courage from the justices. And I think it's incredibly promising on the legal front for the abortion jurisprudence coming down the pipeline this fall at the Supreme Court. And most importantly, lives are being saved right now in Texas as a result. So I don't want to undermine what a huge win this is, but I would like to emphasize that it was decided on procedural grounds and not substantive grounds. So the issue is certainly not over, but I think we can we can um, infer from the reaction of the abortion industry and their supporters that this is in fact a really big deal. Now, I want to play a clip of how they're talking about it. Uh, MSNBC's Nicole Wallace uh, had this to say about what the Texas law means. With this law, I described it with Neil yesterday as a medieval state of affairs. It, it feels like gender apartheid on the medical front for women. So, Catherine, is this gender apartheid? This is, once again, a completely insane reaction from the left. You would think with the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan, they would be reminded of what actual suppression of women looks like. But this is very typical from the left. They have a day or two of social media complete frenzy, and then they go about their lives. Whereas pro-life Texans are on the ground in Texas, helping women in crisis pregnancies, helping fight for children to be alive. And so it once again just shows the difference between the left with their complete and utter nonsense fear-mongering, and with those on the right fighting to protect the unborn and actually walking the walk and helping women along the way. Uh, Catherine, this is not the only abortion-related case in the court system by a lot. The Supreme Court has already agreed to take up Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health, uh, Women's Health, which comes out of the state of Mississippi. Is that case... Uh, is the decision that the Supreme Court makes in the Dobbs case going to affect the Texas heartbeat bill? 
The Texas, or I'm sorry, the Mississippi Supreme Court case, Dobbs, is incredibly important. Like I said previously, in the Texas case, that was ruled on a procedural ground. Dobbs will actually get to the merits of Mississippi's 15-week abortion law. So what happens in Dobbs will have huge ramifications for what happens in Texas. But I am incredibly hopeful and optimistic based on the court. For the first time in many years, I would say 48 years, we have a court that's starting to see there are things more important than abortion and a so-called woman's right to abortion. They showed that in the Texas case. They showed you have to have a proper defendant, and that's more important than ending this, pro this Texas law, the procedural legal grounds. And so for the first time, having a court that recognized there are other interests that are more important than a woman's so-called right to an abortion, it leaves me incredibly, incredibly optimistic for what will happen in Dobbs. And yes, with that that will mean for Texas and every other pro-life state. Agreed, but because the because this Texas uh, law, uh, the decision was a procedural one, we should expect further court challenges in the event somebody tries to enforce that law, correct? That's right. As soon as a civilian tries to enforce the law and tries to sue somebody, it's a $10,000 fine, it's civil penalty, it's not criminal penalty. That's when Planned Parenthood will be able to get back in court. The Supreme Court, They've done their part on it so far. Once it goes back down to the district court and works its way up again, they might choose to take it up on merits. But I think what happens in Dobbs will be this court's answer on what happens in abortion for the foreseeable future in the country. Catherine, last question, about 30 seconds. Should the pro-life community feel that the end of Roe is near? I absolutely think that's true. I think this is the beginning of the end of Roe. I think we have a court, like I said, that's willing to take other interests into play that actually has courage. And I think that the this is historic, no matter what happens in Dobbs, this is the first time in 48 years unborn children are legally recognized as humans with the right to life starting at six weeks in Texas. And that's something to celebrate and that's something to have hope for moving forward. Well, Catherine Beck-Johnson, we certainly hope you are right, and we appreciate the update on this, and we will continue to be vigilant. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Joseph. And we are going to continue this conversation after the break in our Worldview segment, uh, Friday uh, Worldview segment. We're going to talk about what's the problem with abortion, and there's some other abortion COVID church-related stuff that we're going to get into as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. 
Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Glad that you are with us today. Uh, The conversation this week and today quickly turned from Afghanistan to Texas heartbeat bill. It may be something of a gift to President Biden uh, because the subject has been changed from all of the things he has not done particularly well and put him in a place where he can once again defend abortion rights, which I think he likes politically, but of course uh, we don't like it for all sorts of other reasons. Uh, the reasons, I should say, continuing our discussion on the good news from Texas about their pro-life bill. My colleague, David Clausen, FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, is here to unpack the biblical mandates and teaching on the issue of abortion. David, good to have you with us again. Oh, good to be with you, Joseph. So lots of chatter about abortion. Why don't we start at the beginning of this thing and remind people why Christians care about the issue of abortion? Yeah, great question, Joseph. And so far, it's been a great show kind of looking at the policy implications, some of the political realities, uh, some of the legal reasoning uh, behind the Supreme Court's decision. Uh, But first and foremost, the debate about life, uh, the debate about the personhood of the unborn, the whole abortion question, this is first and foremost a theological question. And there's a reason that Christians have cared about this issue since the first century. And simply put, uh, those of us who follow Jesus, who believe the, in the authority of Scripture, we're against abortion because we believe that abortion, the intentional killing of a human being, is an assault on God. It's an assault on those who are made in His image. And it's just, you know, 
fascinating that there are those who uh, claim to be Christians, who claim to follow Jesus, and are up in arms about the Supreme Court's decision to allow this Texas law to take in place. But if you look at what the Scripture teaches, if you look at what the church has taught for 2,000 years, uh, every Christian in this country should be thrilled uh, that there are more, you know, it is safer to be a baby right now in Texas uh, because of the Supreme Court's decision. That's exactly right. And very practically, this time next year, right, we're in September, this time next year, there are going to be little people on the planet who otherwise would have been killed. There's going to be thousands of them probably. And that is good news. It's unambiguously good news. And and as uh, we were talking about earlier in the program, we're going to find that it's not the catastrophe uh, that it is it is spun as, and uh, that these babies are really going to be a blessing to the lives of the people that they touch. And so I, we know that the that the reality and the experience is going to bear out what Scripture tells us, which is that children are a blessing from the Lord, and and they reflect Him. And uh, of course, we as parents learn a lot, and we get stretched by having children. But all of that is ultimately good. Um, but David, you know. From a worldview perspective, if we care about individuals, and we do, why shouldn't we defend the individual rights of a woman as an individual to determine what happens with her body? Why is that not the biblical answer to this question? Yeah, so it's it's not the biblical uh, the way. That's not even the right way to, to frame the question. Of course, as Christians, we believe that all people are made in God's image and therefore have inherent value and inherent dignity. Uh, that's where, as Christians, we ground the whole discussion about human rights. You know, in, in worldview discussion, other worldviews uh, really don't even have a grounding uh, for human rights. Those of us who are Christians who follow Jesus do, uh, because we believe everyone is made in God's image. Uh, when we're talking about the issue of abortion, we need to realize we're talking about two image bearers. Uh, we're talking about the mother, yes, but we're also talking about her unborn child who is made in God's image. And Joseph, I think this is a great opportunity. Whenever abortion's in the news, whatever it might be, I remember uh, in the last presidential election, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who now serves as the Secretary of Transportation, uh, when he was running for president, you know, he, he made comments along the lines of, you know, as someone who is a faithful Christian who reads the Bible, who has a high view of Scripture, I read Scripture and it teaches that life begins with breath, therefore I'm pro-choice. Uh, you know, that gave us an opportunity to talk about what the Bible actually teaches on this issue. Uh, the, this news out of Texas gives us another opportunity. And I, I just want to make sure, you know, a lot of Christians are following this news and, you know, might have an idea that the Bible maybe addresses this issue somehow. Um, you know, a lot of people have heard of Psalm 136, where it says uh, that we're fearfully, wonderfully made. Uh, but there are other texts throughout the, the, the Bible in, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Luke chapter 1, uh, that affirms the personhood of the unborn. And the church has understood this for 2,000 years. So I just think it's important uh, whenever abortions in the news, especially for Christians, you, you know, Joseph, you and I know that only 20% of those who attend church actually have a biblical worldview. Uh, so it's important for us whenever this issue comes up in the news to affirm uh, the church has taught with one voice, Catholic, Orthodox, every branch of Protestantism for 2,000 years uh, that has a high view of Scripture, that the Bible indeed affirms the personhood of the unborn, and that's grounded in that doctrine of the Imago Dei. That's well said. And you mentioned Pete Buttigieg and his um, his ability to bring in kind of these theological questions. And it's interesting how Pete Buttigieg basically leads with his faith when he tries to make these arguments that are really 
in uh, in significant ways inconsistent with scripture and he's certainly not the only one and there's really this instinct from people on the left politically who really want to kind of claim the mantle of god and pull god over to their side of this issue and we saw that this week uh with uh, speaker of the house nancy pelosi and i want to play that and lead this into this part of this conversation let's go ahead and let that play when we go back to washington we will be putting Roe v. Wade codification on the floor of the House to make sure that women everywhere have access uh, to the reproductive health that they need. I say that as a mother of five children, and I um, respect everyone's decisions, their personal decisions, but that's why we have to give them uh, the ability to make those decisions. Nancy Pelosi is also uh, very publicly Catholic, as, of course, is uh, President Biden. They claim to be Catholic. And she always, it's curious, every time she talks about how important it is to be able to have an abortion, she talks about her five children. And there's not a small amount of irony in that uh, to me, is I realize these are children. I think children are great, but you should be able to kill your children if you find them to be inconvenient to you in some way. Where do you think that instinct comes from for people to claim their religion while defending abortion to claim a religion that ultimately they don't follow in significant ways? Yeah, it's a great question, Joseph. You know, st- uh, a poll that we did earlier this summer at FRC, uh, we we're surveying Americans on what they believe, what their worldview is. You know, we know that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, uh, but what the polling showed was that 51% of Americans think they have a biblical worldview. Uh, so for the, at least the majority of Americans, uh, kind of uh, language of faith and, and the Bible and Christianity is still appealing. People uh, whether they want to escape, you know, you can't escape that people like to make moral and theological arguments. Uh, and for Nancy Pelosi, the arguments that she's making is the same arguments that Joe Biden has made as a candidate and now as president, uh, that he is a is a faithful practicing Catholic, uh, but he disagrees with the church's teaching on abortion. And there's just something fundamentally incompatible about that. You know, the, the Catholic church, let's be clear, uh, Pope Francis, you know, a lot of people give this pope uh, uh, grief for positions that he's taking, taken or some ambiguous things that he said on different issues. Uh, this pope has been very clear uh, that the Catholic Church has not moved an inch when it comes to the sanctity of human life, uh, the personhood of the unborn. As I think when you hear a, a statement like what uh, Speaker Pelosi is making, you just, at least when I hear it, it's just, it's, it's just very clear that there's just an absolute disconnect between what she claims to be her faith and then the public policy that she pursues and pursues with a vengeance. It's a good point. It reminds me of a Tim Keller quote. Uh, It's something like, he said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And, and that, of course, is a bipartisan critique of just humanity and whatever your particular uh, religious perspective is. If you've never found yourself in a moment where you were like, man, this is what I want to believe. This is what I think. But it looks like maybe God thinks something different. So I might need to adjust what I think. Um, is, do you think that's what's happening in this case and other cases? Well, I, I think so, Joseph. You know, the conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about you know, the vast majority of people believe that humanity is fundamentally good. We, we don't understand basic theological concepts of, such as original sin. Uh, but uh, I think you're right. People, uh, we, we know from polling that 88% of Americans have what you could call a synchronistic worldview. So they pick and choose 
parts of the of different worldviews and systems of thought and beliefs, and they kind of put it together. And it doesn't really matter uh, that it's kind of inconsistent, it's logically incoherent, but that's how 88% of our friends and neighbors in this country operate. That's how they live their lives. And so even those who claim to belong to a religion that has a high view of human life, they really uh, are drawn towards this radical autonomy, this, you know, I, I can pick my own world view. And I think that's what you see specifically with these pro-choice, so-called pro-choice Catholics or pro-choice evangelicals, is that they, they might want to claim parts of the Christian worldview, but they're actually operating from a more naturalistic, postmodern worldview when it comes to a really fundamental issue like uh, the, the human being and uh, the personhood of the unborn. You know, the reaction we've seen from many on the left to this Texas heartbeat bill, I think is a function in part of how important abortion is to them. Now, in the past, anecdotally in conversations, I basically said, okay, um, if you want to give citizen status to everyone who's here illegally, fine. You've just got to come with me on abortion. Or uh, you can set whatever marginal tax rate you want to set for the billionaires. I'll go along with that. You just got to give me abortion. And whatever the issue is, they say no. And it appears to me, and I haven't studied this empirically, but it appears to me that's the hill that they will die on, that they would defend that issue um, hardest. Why do you think that is? No, you're absolutely right, Joseph. And I think I said earlier, you know, people are inescapably moral and theological the way we think about these issues. And absolutely, as far as the left goes, the, the political left in this country, their new sacrament, so to speak, is abortion. And uh, it's uh, tragic that uh, they're willing to sacrifice on the altar of their own political goals, uh, children, uh, unborn babies who are made in the image of God. But, it, but it's absolutely true. On, on the left now, you have a, a sacrament of abortion. That, and it just seems, and, you've, and it, this is so clear uh, by this, the, the response all over the country, uh, to the decision of the Supreme Court to allow this Texas law to go into effect. And you have people just absolutely outraged and in a tizzy. And I think it's because this is uh, so central to their worldview, so central to their own autonomy. And I, I think that that's exactly what's going on right now. I think sacrament is actually the right word to use there, um, which, uh, m which leads me to another thought because they are now being told that they cannot take this sacrament in Texas, so to speak. And you see how outraged they are, which leads us to another issue that we've been dealing with uh, for other people who like to take sacraments, people like Christians who like to take <laughs> other sacraments and go to churches. I think we're seeing, based on the reaction of the left, that maybe, do you think they're going to have some sympathy for Christians who objected to being told you're not allowed to go to church? I don't think that's coming anytime soon, Joseph, but you're right. Uh, I know you had an op-ed that came out today in Town Hall that's just uh, showing recently that a lot of Christian uh, churches who uh, were shut down by uh, governors and mayors, mostly in blue uh, cities and states, uh, it, it turns out uh, that uh, these politicians uh, definitely overstepped their boundaries and went out from what the law actually allowed them to do even during a pandemic. Some of those stories, because we actually have some good news out of that. Uh, tell us what happened for uh, John MacArthur and, and uh, Grace Community Church. Yeah, that's, that's just the latest example. Uh, Grace Community Church in, uh, in California, their pastor, John MacArthur, well-known evangelical pastor, uh, they were just awarded uh, $800,000 uh, from the county and from the city 
uh, because if, if people followed this story, a Grace Community Church, like churches all over this country, yeah, you know, it's interesting, Joseph. Uh, I know we don't have time to go through the whole backstory, but you know, when the the COVID nineteen pandemic first broke out, it was ninety nine percent of churches ceased in person Bible studies meetings. Uh, followed the advice uh, that health departments were giving and said, Let, let's see what happens. But then a couple months into the pandemic, uh, when abortion clinics, liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries were allowed to reopen. and you Speaking had, of sacraments. Speaking of sacraments, that's right. But then you had mayors and governors allowing those things to open and casinos to open, but they're saying churches still had to remain closed. You had a lot of churches that said, wait a second, uh, that doesn't seem to be fair. This seems to be Caesar over uh, exerting what he's allowed to do in, in the realm of politics, but as well violating First Amendment rights. So you had churches uh, beginning to open up, and then you had uh, uh, jurisdictions like L.A. County going after these churches. And it turns out a year and a half later uh, that uh, these uh, mayors and governors are now settling with these churches, realizing that they definitely overextended uh, and went past what they were actually legally allowed to do. Right. And and the reason that's important is because Grace Bible Church and many of these other churches that decided to start meeting again relatively early in the process received a lot of criticism from other Christians who told them, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You need to submit to the governing authority and you need to do what the local politician tells you to do. Right. But what these cases are, are clarifying for us is that it was, in fact, the politicians who were in violation of the law. It was not the churches that were in violation of the law. So the people who needed to submit to the governing authority was not the pastor of the church that was meeting. It was the mayor. It was the governor who was telling people, you can't gather because the constitution is the governing authority. And that's what needs to be obeyed, right? Do you think this is going to help uh, the church navigate these issues in the future? I hope so. And it's, that's a super important point. We should never conflate obedience to politicians with obedience to what, to the law. Because, yeah, in this right. country, we are called in Romans 13 to submit to the governing authorities, and ultimately we're called to submit to the law. Now, as Christians, we know we can't uh, go against, uh, you know, we have one Lord, and when the government tells us to do something that's in direct disobedience to Scripture, that's a road uh, that Christians can't cross. And so I do hope that uh, as Christians, we, real, we, take a, um, we look at this, and this guides us for other situations moving forward. David Clausen, really appreciate your time, as always. Thanks, Joseph. And that does it for today. And remember, there's a big, big, big difference between obeying politicians and obeying the law. So next time your church comes into conflict with the law, don't necessarily assume that the church is wrong. We'll talk about this and a whole lot more next time when we come back on Washington Watch. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great, great weekend. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.